Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. What a treat to have the great actor Richard Thomas uh, here with me today. We've gotten to know each other by working together on Billions. By the time this airs, uh, Richard, you will have come back on Billions in season four as the great uh, Sanford Bensinger. And uh, man, it was such a thrill to all of us when you said you would come do the show in, in season two and then to have you come back in a really meaty way in, in this season has been awesome for us. So th- thanks for that. Oh, thank you. I, I, it's a wonderful part. I mean, it was it when when I the first episode was sent to me and I read it, it's like it's truly what they call what actors call a plum. It's a real plum role. It was beautiful. And, you know, what, what did Spencer Tracy say? You know, there's not much ever what there is is churse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's very churse. Well, you part. made this amazing choice. You made this amazing choice to uh, – to play Benzinger, um, I was going to bring this up later, but it's just as you say it, as a guy who really loves being Sanford Benzinger. Oh, yes. He's very happy. With he's it. very happy. He's to, very happy. To be it. him. Which, well, it was an actor being happy in the role, playing a man who's happy being you, who he you is. You feel this whole thing <laughs> yeah. as it's happening, and it just brings... And it, this is one of the amazing things, and I, I, um, I, we'll go backwards into biographical stuff, but... One of the amazing things that that happens when you do what we do, which is this long running, you know, you're making a long running series and you bring in actors you've always admired. One of the great treats, right, is you can go, hey, man, it'd be great if Richard Thomas did this. You can go after you. And then you're like, yeah, let's do it. And then, of course, you make the character into something uh, that's that's an amplified version of what we had in our heads. It's it's this magic. It's amplified as my specialty. It's this this magic that, that kind of like happens. What does it feel like from the outside, though, when, when, when you get a part, decide you're going to do it on a, on a show that's going, when you're entering into something that's already in motion? How do you think about that, and how, how do you sort of thread that needle? Well, it's a very <clears throat> interesting question, and having, having done a series um, over the years, a, a few of them, but particularly you know one in the 70s back a long time ago, when you're, on, when you're a regular and you're on the show all the time and guest actors come in, you're very aware of um, – it is like having a guest come to visit the house. I mean, you really – and you want to make them feel comfortable so that they can do their best work. But you're also your own thing. You're a family that's yes. already in motion. And there's a place at the table, but you really don't – you could see that these people really didn't – know everybody they were trying to get comfortable and but there was a certain shyness or a certain and then to come in as a guest and be on the other side of that experience uh it's a it's a very interesting thing you you you, you're very aware when you when you come on the set that you're coming into someone else's home you know and it's like you look down on the floor say oh did they take their shoes off in this right. house or you are their you're shoes kind of in the looking house? at the way it works exactly. oh they take their shoes off okay i'll take my shoes off uh and uh you want to be open so that you can work yes um but you don't want to make too much noise you know you go in your guest room and you unpack your stuff but you don't want to make you don't want to turn your your radio up too loud so in order to do the best work you can for for an actor you need to have a sense of relaxation and openness and that's always a little bit on the first day that's what i was a wondering. little bit at odds with this your sense of propriety and wanting to be a good guest i this sounds like this is a hopelessly long winded. no it's answer. exactly no it's what i'm looking for it's a podcast <laughs> yeah. man just blow it's great because how do you know, because the thing about, a ca- especially when you're playing a character who owns the room, this can be right. even more of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Because Benzinger has to, who, who if you don't watch Billions, 
Honestly, if you don't watch and you listen to this podcast, yeah, all going, right, what's going I don't on. really understand. <laughs> but if you don't know, Benzinger is uh, one of the richest, most powerful men in the world. And um, uh, he's one of the few people Bobby Axelrod has to actually sort of be careful around in the way that he conducts himself. And and so you do have to come in. And that's why for us it was important to cast somebody. You know, the, the danger of casting a, a regular sort of a, a day player in a role like that is they have to put on so many layers. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Whereas casting someone who's been successful in life and has knows what it's like to be at the top of the mountain right. makes it much richer for us, right? M not rich in the monetary sense. Right. But you still had to come in and be able to own the room. Yes. And so how do you how do you figure that stuff out? How do you know how far you can throw the ball? Just jumping in the deep end of the pool with both feet. And it's a leap of faith, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I will say, you know, different shows are different. They have different cultures on, on different shows, as you know. And uh, it was sort of, with Billions, it was instantly easy for me to, to take my seat. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very welcoming and ex exquisitely well-run set, but it's very welcoming, and I, I never felt a sense of... Um, um, it wasn't arduous to get to that point, but to but to but to walk into the room, and uh, as the character and own it is it's really a leap of faith. You have to just you have to just get your 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 money notes in your hip pocket and go out there and do it. I I, I will say that I think sometimes a lot of work in the theater. Um, where you have to walk on stage and be there. And yes. you have to be there for however many hundred of people or more than that. And you have to hit the back of the room and you've got, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to walk out on the stage and take it. That's helpful. Th that training is That's, helpful for training, you to understand, look, yeah. if I'm doing this, yeah, exactly. I have to, to just to be go able, and do yeah, it. To be able to fake a sense of authority and, and confidence right but also to bring it i mean that's funny but also to bring it from your gut to yeah. bring it from yeah. yes. your breadbasket yes. in a way exactly right so. and no well look exactly so i'm in and then i guess you have the faith or i wonder that if you if if you go past the mark someone will be able to say hey let's let's bring it back now on our show that that's not no one's saying that to you on our well, show i can't tell you the number of times i've been saved from the brink by the director <laughs> i made a movie called taking woodstock that ang lee directed. oh sure yes and i had just been doing some show some oh like some theater, broadway show some, yeah something. and i and i got on a set like in my, my first day of shooting and i did my first take and he came out from behind the camera and he came up to me and he said, very good, very good work. Very, very, very good. Smaller. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some actors, okay, this is great psychologically. And then I swear we're going to go back in for people who don't, for anyone young listening who doesn't really understand uh, the trajectory of your life. And because I'm fascinated by who it. you're but, talking to. But, but I'm fascinated by it. It doesn't matter. This is already, you're, everything you're saying is already fascinating. Some actors... It's funny you say that. So you liked that Aang said that to you. You understood it right away. You were ready to take that shorthand. Actors are so different in the yes. way that they work yes. and in the way they want to receive feedback. Mm -hmm. I know actors, there are some actors, you know, you can just say exactly that. You can go, I think we can, you know, you can you can fake it by, by saying, uh, you know, just as Damien was talking about the other day, you know, just think it, please, is one way. But there are some actors who, who find like words like less to be kind of insulting. Do you, sure. And what, what, is, what is it, 
what is it because all this stuff is always about your own insecurities all of us and, of and my role and your role right what is it about words like less that feel embarrassing or bad and what's a better way you'd like to receive it or you're fine with well I think ideally in, in, in the fantasy world of an actor's mind you know you want to come on the set and do your first take and, and you've actually you know you've, you, you've sent the ball right down the middle you know you've just yes. it's just roll it, you know and you've hit a strike and the director goes that's exactly what I that's what I dreamed of when I wrote this part yes. and anything less than that frankly is devastating but um, depending on the size of the ego and the fragility of it but but I, as you get it seems to me that as as I get older and I've always liked clear direction yes um, one is grateful for clarity uh, and sometimes when a director comes in and tries to give you too much emotional information and tell you too much of a story. This is what I'm always worried about, that side of it. It's hard. It, it becomes harder to, to take it on and to manifest it. Whereas, for instance, I mean, a famously a laconic theater director, Dan Sullivan, you know, who you have to have a strong sense of yourself as an actor in the room because he won't, you just don't know whether he's liking it or hating it. And eventually I had to say to myself, well... Either he's if – if he didn't like it, he would say something to fix it. And if he's not saying anything, then maybe he thinks he can't fix it. Right. So I don't want to know which one <laughs> Just it, let it is. Go. So I'm grateful for clarity and, and – um, You want directness. And help. Right. And help. Also, you when you first come on board on anything, you know, your volume can be turned up a little or turned down a little. Yes. Uh, you know, you, you may not be, because of your mood or where, where you're at uh, in terms of just, especially when you're new on a set, you bringing something um, from the inside as a person that has nothing to do with the character. And that may manifest in a little too big or, or, or a little tentative. And so it's very important to have somebody come in, for have a director come in and turn the knobs for you. Of course, having that internal life, though, and being willing to allow it to run the thing mm -hmm. is what separates the good actors from the ones who are, to me, right, being available to what's going on inside yourself, as yes. opposed to actors, you know, one of the things, the hardest people to direct, the hardest people to connect with and direct, for me, or when I'm talking to somebody in between, and it's great, and it's I understand where they are, and then you say action, and suddenly the shoulders stiffen, and yeah. the back gets straight, <clears throat> and the voice becomes completely separate from yes. who they are, because you realize, oh, this person isn't working, I realize, this person actually isn't working with what they have yeah. in their chest. Yeah, they're presenting. They're presenting, and that's very difficult to sort of, for me, that's yeah. very, much harder to sort of get inside of because it's fabricated. I think we all have to fight against doing that, no matter how experienced we may be. Uh, but there's in in a in a situation where you, for instance, like the theater, or like in the old days of when I started in of live television, you know, where where you went into a rehearsal room and rehearsed for two weeks, yes, and then you went to the studio and you did it like a play, basically with cameras, and so. You have the rehearsal period in which to break yourself down and relax yourself. Get comfortable and in your get, skin. And get comfortable. And also investigate the text to the point where you've had some insights by doing it over and over. And and so you've gotten some of your initial choices out of the way and you've moved to a, a different place. But when you come to... to um, 
And some films do rehearsing. And I mean, I remember in the Waltons when we we did our weekly table reads, that was almost unheard of at that time. It's my favorite. Show. I mean, Dave and me, I mean, that's it our never, favorite it, part of Billions is our table reads. It was really rare at that time. And it's a very, it's incredibly, it's valuable, incredibly right? valuable. But it's not the same as the rehearsal period. And so when you when you come to a set and you have, you have you're going to shoot this scene on this day and you're going to do it till you get it right, but that's not the same thing as rehearsing it for a month and then playing it for six months or four, three months. You come with results. You know, you, you want to be, you want to have your results ready. And you, you don't want to be wasting anybody's time. And you want to have an idea of what you want to put there. And so it that limits the possibilities for discovery a little bit. Right, for and, the synthesis, yeah, for and, integrating yes. your, for integrating who you are with what you're Well, to playing. let things happen. Yeah. Just to let things happen. Right. Uh, because you have to be prepared. And as a child actor, where your life is so much about Learn your lines. Don't get any in anybody's way. Don't miss your entrance. Listen to the director. I mean, all of this stuff, you know. Uh, yes, which is the opposite really, of, in a way, prepare, prepares you for certain aspects of it, hitting your mark. But it really doesn't prepare you it for other aspects. Prepare you for other aspects. To, you know, you, to do so, the work exactly. So, so all those years of 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 that kind of training really, for me, could mit against a sort of spontaneity. Yeah, you had to actually like chip away, chip at away that at shit, stuff. Right? Exactly. So, yeah, I can imagine it. I, Sometimes I'll watch a movie from the 50s, um, like, uh, I love the movie Advise and Consent, and oh, I watch sure. that movie a lot. And there's a, a child actor in it, interacting with Henry Fonda, and because the, he gets a phone call from the president or whatever, and I st- sometimes I'll look at that child actor and try to imagine what he was going through, because his performance is so different than everybody else, you know, Charles Lawton's in the movie, and Henry Fonda's in the movie, and I'm watching those guys work, and then this kid is like wound up, you know, they wound him up and right. have him make faces. And it's like, I, I feel bad. I, every time yeah. I watch it, I feel sad for that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wonder if he's still working. Yeah. Well, you know, you just wonder like what what happened. I mean, we could find out. So, okay, you brought up child actors. So, um, and I'll say at the top of this now, um, you know, you were, I want to talk about your childhood, but for, for a second for context. So to those of us who are my age, I'm 50, uh, almost 53. And, um, which means that in 1971, I was five, but the show, the Waltons, where you were the star of, ran till 77, right? Right. So it, it ran till I was 11, from when I was five. I did it till 76 or 77, but I think it went on nine years. Right. So maybe, so you did it. Did you come back at the end or you? No, no, I came back for a couple of episodes in the, in the two seasons after. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. But, um. But basically, it is 77. Yeah. You were in the show. Stop what you're doing. Look down at your left wrist. Because our friends at Movement Watches, MVMT Watches, have got exactly what you're missing. Movement has you covered with tons of quality, clean, and all-around good-looking watches and accessories that we can actually afford and order right from our couch. Do your wrist and wallet a favor. Go check out their minimalist designs that you can have with no risk. Because they offer free shipping and returns. Look, with over 2 million watches sold worldwide, Movement has solidified themselves as one of the fastest growing watch brands out there. I love just looking online at the different styles that they have, uh, knowing how easy it is to get them, that you can mix and match. Uh, they have different bands. They have uh, sunglasses, you know, these interchangeable watch straps. So you just never run out of options for a new look. But the thing is they work incredibly well 
They're simple. And wearing a watch, um, even though it kind of, for a minute there, people weren't wearing watches that much. I'll tell you, I love the ease and convenience of just looking down at my wrist again. It's like, why do I have to take something out of my pocket to look at it? I just have it right there on my wrist. Moon watches start at just 95 bucks. So you're guaranteed to find something you love that won't break the bank. These guys are truly a ground up entrepreneur success story. They understand living on a tight budget. They've lived it too. And that's why they wanted to make quality products that are accessible to everyone. They've sold over 2 million watches across more than 160 countries and their collections are always expanding for you. So come on, get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash moment. See why MVMT keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com slash moment. Join the movement. It's hard for people to understand now, I think, what the world was like when there were three television stations I know. plus PBS and sort of what it meant to be the star of a top five network show. Um, and so there was a time when you were among the most famous people in America. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, you were among the most famous people in America for like the whole decade of the 70s yeah. and into the 80s. Um, so that's the context when, 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 when we all got to meet you. The context for all of us who were within our age range was like, this is amazing because, you know, this guy was just so large in the consciousness of the country. There's almost no people who fill that exact spot other than some athletes now. Don't you think it's different? It's very different. Um, I mean, now in, in, in our age of option paralysis, yes. <laughs> because there are so many choices, yes. it, there is no, uh, just a, the culture doesn't work that way. But yeah. I'm going to get to that cause I want to have a lot of questions about it, but let's start here because can, can you just describe your childhood as the son of dancer, dance instructors? Like, you know, I'm curious whenever I meet someone who's a child actor who then worked it all out, but also the son of show people. Mm-hmm. Were you more in the world of kids or the world of theater and adults when you were a boy? Because you started working at like five or six years old, right? Yeah. I was in the world of, I was pretty much in the world of my imagination, which a From lot the of young actors are. Yeah. Uh, I was, I, I grew up, I had my own life as a young, as a child actor, but the li- my home life was all around the ballet. Because right. your parents were... my parents were dancers, and when I was born, they were dancing, actually, with Alicia Alonso's company in Havana. I mean, I was born in New York, but um, they were they, we were in Cuba for my first few years. And then when they left that company, they joined Balanchine's company, and, and that, uh, they, danced, they danced with that company for, for several years. And then when they left, ultimately, they both became teachers and opened a school in New York. So the the world that I grew up in as a small boy yes. and up through my adolescence in terms of living at home was really, uh, was really the world of dance. And, and, uh, and I took class when they t- started teaching and all that. And then, but then I had my life of my life aside from that, which was my life as an actor. Um, what about your life with your peers? Well, I had a great, I had a fantastic, uh, um, elementary school life. You uh, did? Yeah. I went to a, a, a boys school over here on the East side, Alan Stevenson. Right. And, um, and that went for not through the ninth grade. And I have, I have friends 
that I've known since my first grade at, at Allen Stevenson. I mean, really close friendships, one in particular. And, and, uh, and I, I made lots of friends at that school. I had a wonderful time. And it, it was, I was completely... I was completely that kid when I was there. Of course, we didn't have the child labor laws, you know. So, so you didn't. You, you just you missed school. This is what I'm. Yeah. And you made up homework. And if you were doing a show, you got to bed after the curtain, and you got up and went to school in the morning. And there was no, you know, if you were filming, you did a full day's work. There was no sort of like tutor hours, on set. Nothing. It was. Yeah. So a, that didn't oh, interrupt nothing. your child. So, so okay. So you're there. You say your life was mostly in the ballet. So does that mean you were around just? Um, dancers and artists yes, and musicians yes, yes, all the time. Yes, yes. Were your parents conventional in any way? Did they have normal bedtimes, or was it a, a show life? No, because because you know, was it a show life? Like my dad was in the music business; he was making records. Um, but he would come home, so he would go to the studio. Then he would come home. Sometimes the nights that he would take me with him to the recording studio, mm-hmm. I'd be up till whenever with him in the right. studio. Those yes. were my favorite nights of my life. Of course. Um, you know, watching Jeff Baxter from the Doobies play a guitar solo on some record. But mostly we led a Long Island conventional life knowing my dad was in the record business. Mm-hmm. But you were in Manhattan, like kind of above the school or near the school. Yeah. So so draw that for me a little bit. Well, it was, I, I would say it was conventional only in that it wasn't nuts, you know, I mean, it was, it was, you know, not nuts. It was reliable. My parents were there. They were present. Um, and when I was very small and they were still dancing, you know, they would go to the theater in the evening. And, and when I didn't go with them, uh, then there, there I had a babysitter. But many, many times I went to the theater, uh, to city centers where Balanchine's company danced when I was a child. And, you know, sometimes I would sit down in the pit with the timpanists and, or with members of the orchestra or stand in the wings and watch these ballets. And, and you were of um, the arts then. You just knew yeah. how to talk to yeah. artists. I mean, you were... Yeah, there's a in- picture of me asleep in a trunk backstage at the Paris Opera when I, I was it. maybe That's- about four... You That's know, incredible. Three, three years old. Yeah, I mean, it was a very. You know, I, I read Alan Alda's <laughs> book. You know, have you ever? You ever do you know Alda? Did you ever work with him? Yeah. I've so never worked never with worked him. But we know him. each other because you know he grew up with his parents in vaudeville, and yeah. when he, he describes what that was like, it, it, it almost like. I guess what I want to know is, did you make a conscious choice to be in the arts? Like, what do you remember a moment where you were like, "I'm, I'm going to act"? Yeah. Well, I guess a fish doesn't know that it's in water, right? right? I yes. mean, that's just the world. That was the air I breathed. So. Um, <clears throat> I, I had an opportunity when my, my, my folks left the, the company and my mom was, they were doing sort of freelance piece. They were dancing in different places for a while. My dad got a job in a, in a upstate old, old school summer stock theater at Sockendaga, New York, no longer exists. I've closed hospitals, theaters. That's awesome. Right That's right great. Yes. And, and the time I went, touch. yeah, I went, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I went up with him for the summer and, uh, they, there were three of us who were children. Uh, one was the children of the conductor, one of the violinist and then my dad's son, me. And they were doing a production of damn Yankees and they wanted they thought, well, with these three little guys, would they sing? You got to have heart, right? Uh, yeah. And do the number. So they asked our parents, they asked us, we said yes. And that was the first time I got out on stage and it just felt, <clears throat> I mean, obviously you got nerves when you're first, but it really did feel like, like walking from the wings where I'd spent my whole small, young, I mean, I was in my late sixes at that point, um, <laughs> yeah. 
out onto the stage. It's, it's a short journey. So it felt like the most normal, the most natural thing. And then there was another part later on. It was a small part of a, an onboard Brad and, and a thing they did of Anything Goes, production they did of Anything Goes that summer. I did that. Then I got back to New York, and my first grade teacher happened to be a children's agent. It was just Really? Yes. Uh, and she said, well, they're replacing the boy who's, who's playing John Roosevelt in Sunrise at Campobello, which was then on Broadway at the time. And I know your son did some work, you know, over the summer, and did he like it, and would he like to come in and meet Dory Sherry? So I went in with her, I met him, and I got that job. And it just felt like the most natural thing. Well, yeah, this is a question I had. It was not down, an ambition. Which was to say, I mean, uh, what ambitions do you have at six? You know, right? But this is what I was going to ask. Did you feel even more at home with yourself on stage than off stage? Well, that's a really good question. Um, stage when you feel yes, you that's yes. saying that's maybe when you not felt even like maybe not more at home, but. Totally safe and completely free. You liked the version of yourself. Yes. You liked I, who yeah, you were. Yeah, that's a very on, good way to put it. You liked who you were yes, and on I've been, stage. And I've been working on yes. that. Right. No, of course. <laughs> lots of money spent of on course. therapy yes, over the years to deal with that. Right. But yes. But yes, you liked that yes. version of yourself. Exa- exactly. This so. is when I feel most alive. Or yeah, it like was a wonderful feeling. And, and uh, Right I knew, away. Yeah. And a couple years later, I was playing John Henry in a production um, in up at uh, in in Massachusetts, the wonderful theater there though I can't I gotta remember the name of it. But um, in in Member the Wedding, and that's a great child part. It's a great part for a child actor. And I remember in the second act on stage, feeling the lights. And I'd already worked, but it was a moment, and I was sitting there, sort of in the not in the dark because the, the lights when I was on stage, and I thought, "You're an actor. Uh. You're an actor. This is." This is it. This is what you are. This is what you do. I think I must have been maybe eight, maybe nine. Eight or nine, and that comes nine. to you that clearly. But it was just, it was like a voice told me. It said, you're an actor. This is it. This is what you do. And that was it. And, you know. You knew then, Well, this is what my life's going to be. How did the other kids regard you then? I know you have this one friend. for all the, Well, kids. Did, did your friends regard this as odd? Did you play it up when you were with them? Did you play it down? Did, did, did. They consider you somehow special or different. Well, you know, some of them hated me for it. I wonder. You know, I got a, I got a lot of. You shit. got made fun you of. Know, yeah, of course. You know, and uh, and some were didn't care. Right. And some who many of whom I mean it's New York, right? It's a New York private boys' school, right? So. Someone being in the theater is not such a big deal. Right, it's I not mean, bizarre. It's, it's not, not bizarre. bizarre. And there were there were, you know, children, uh, many people. Uh, you know, uh, although I mean, sometimes Betty even Davis's in a, son was but, in the class. Sorry, you know, I mean, who, there were pe- son? you know, Betty Davis, and right, Michael Merrill's son was in the school. I mean, there were there were people. You know, uh, um, David Susskind's son was in the it was in the school. I mean, th- so that you were surrounded by children of the business. The, I don't know that there was like maybe one other child actor in in the. In, in but my, sometimes when 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 uh, when a kid sticks his or her head up and says like I'm yeah. different I yeah. want something else you're not going to get a medal yeah it 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 can it can be hard for that kid yes so there were times but, yeah and but, I had to be careful with that and I don't and it was it would have been a terrible but it, you know it's a good <clears throat> it's a good teacher of humility too you know you you know d- d- 
you know, keep it keep it between the lines. You know, just don't. You know, just be who you are. Be happy. Don't you don't have to hide who you are. But you know, just there's no should be no swagger involved. Um, That's great. You, you know, and that you sort of became aware of that. Yeah, think? yeah, you had to. But the the thing that made me most probably stand out the most was how much school I missed. Right, you got to escape. I got to escape. However, when I was doing a show. And working full hours and and having to make up my homework and come into school and make I always did better in school than when I was a full time student. It's the weirdest well, you thing. Had to, in this and I think window. I was more stimulated when I was working. And I think energetically I was in a different place because I always managed to do better when I was actually <laughs> attending less school. I actually <laughs> understand why that thing. makes sense. It's that, you know, the I mean often Olympians when they talk about their schooling, they do mm-hmm. very well. Because the limited time, they have to focus. They yeah. have to get it done, and so they they manage to somehow like uh, get it done. But also, you you have a lot of erudition. Like when we talk on set, it's clear you read a lot. You're interested in a lot. So you must have been doing some learning on the side for yourself, or you were just interested in it. I don't know. Um, uh, yes, I, I, later, I mean I was but... I was I was a very good student in English, and right. and uh, you know and dreadful at math i was just a textbook situation for yeah, me. i mean the most i'm the same just, you know um but but I've, i have always been very like i said my imagination was really my that was where i was living from the time so when, when, so when, when you had that uh notion hey i'm an actor when did you make a decision to go deeper um as an actor to really like learn the craft, the stuff of integrating, synthesizing, be, because what you said, and I know it's true from seeing the way kid actors work, is the things you're rewarded for as a child actor and what you feel as a child actor are quite different than what you're rewarded for as um, a grown-up actor. And so there must have been a moment when, when, or a series of moments when you decided, I have to now, I have natural talent at this, so I'm good at it, but now I have to actually get good at it. Well, what, how did that happen? It, it, the um, you have. You have two things, you know, you have your technique, which you develop by doing, and then you have your emotional life. Um, and these two, these two aspects co- come together in the work. <clears throat> As a child actor, uh, you need to have discipline, and you need to learn discipline. And this is where being raised by ballet dancers was yes. hugely important, okay? Um you have to have discipline, but you also have to be absolutely in touch with your feelings. You have to be one of those kids who can just get to, you got you know, look, you know, to put it, Jackie Coogan probably would have said, you just got to know how to cry, right. basically. Yes. If you can cry, you're in. As a kid actor. <laughs> As a kid actor. Right. You know, learning how to laugh um, on cue in a relaxed way is much more complicated than if, than if you're a child actor crying. Sure. So, I mean, and, and it's having access. So if you have access, then you can do most of the things that child actors are required to do. And you stay, you know, you, you, you have your emotions, you can get to them. And meanwhile, you're learning your technique. Being a child actor, especially when I was... <clears throat> I mean, it's a profession that you can learn like apprentice. It's like apprentice learning. Yes. So you, would, you, you come to work... I never studied. I never went to acting class. So you, you, and some people could say they could sure. tell. But uh, you come to work. You're working with adults. 
you're working with what would be a master. You know, you have the stars. Usually you're playing their kid. Right. So you have parents who are models for the character and also models for you as a young and actor. And you were actually looking at that. And you watch them. You were watching Yes, them. you watch them and you learn from them. And you, you know, they'll tell you, you know, <clears throat> you know, to stand over here, you know, if you stand over here, this is going to happen or don't upstage yourself or turn, you know, they, you know, they'll, they'll give you some guidance. They will, unless they're just, you know, yeah, but jerks. Generally, but generally speaking, you know, um, and so you're doing an apprenticeship. You know, you have a, you get to have a small part that you can, they'll like, give you this and you can do this at the feet of these professionals. And you watch and you learn. You get your next part. Maybe it's a little bigger. Maybe there's a little bit more to do. Or, and then you have a different set of masters to watch. And you, so your, your technique develops sort of naturally if you're paying attention right. to how the work is getting done. And, and watching people, you think, oh, I really like that. Isn't she great? You know, and, or isn't he wonderful? And then you think, what, how are they doing that? What are they doing? It's just... And you would think about that actually. Oh, sure. Richard. It's you would think, yeah. What's what's she doing? I listen. When I was ten, I got cast in the uh, actor studio production of Strange Interlude, right, which was the first Broadway production that the actor studio did. Um, and that's a whole story. That's the best audition that I ever had in. Well, my what's life. the story? Well, the the, the, <laughs> the my dad was the ballet teacher at the June Taylor School, okay, and uh, and up on Seventh Avenue, it was Broadway or Seventh Avenue, and all the kids from the actress studio, the, the the young actresses would come up and take ballet class with him. Uh, Tuesday Well would come, and and you know Jane Holzer, Jane Fonda was a devoted ballet student and student of my dad's. She was very 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 serious about it, and she came in one day and she said, look. We're doing a show. We're doing we're doing a play. We're we're going to do a production of Strange Interlude. There's a part for a child actor in it. I know your son has done some work. Would he like to come in and meet Jose? Jose Quintero is the director. Come to the studio and meet Jose and maybe audition. So I went down. I, I I went to the studio and I walked in and my dad left me on the street and I went in on my on my own and I I went in and I went into Jose's office and he was sitting there in this small office downstairs and he asked me he looked at me and he said sit down and I said uh, I sat down and he said tell me what do you want to be more than anything in the world and I said an actor and he said that's it you got the part really yeah so <laughs> every actor in the world should have that audition every actor deserves that's to have once that one time audition um and then he said Jerry and the coat closet was a jar. The door to the coat closet was a jar. And the door to the, the coat closet slowly opened. And Geraldine Page came no, out, who on. had been listening, who had been, came out, came, got in front of my chair, got down on her knees, took my hands in hers and said, my son, you're my son. And that, I don't think you I can, don't even understand. I don't, exactly. And I played her son in that. And, and you learned from her. You were saying, so I, you... So I would... I would. There were nine acts in that show. Nine acts. They sent the audience to Sardi's for dinner in That's the middle awesome. of the evening, right? The end of the first preview, I remember, even at that age, Jose Quintero saying to us, well, that's it. We sink or drown. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so... What a great I, line. Yeah. And we had a revolving stage, and I would... I would I would be ready for I was in Act Seven and I would be standing there in the dark on that on my set listening through the through the the backdrop of of Jerry Page's set listening to her perform 
every night, eight times a week as a 10-year-old kid. And that voice and the exquisite qualities that would change, how it would change and shift. But also, and she was, this was a, I mean, if there was a method actress, Jerry Page was, you know, you could put her face in the, in the dictionary, right? But the discipline and the consistency and the, and the reliability of the phrasing, and the, so that there was this combination of aliveness and absolute, technique and formality right and I would you know when you when you're privileged enough as a child to sit and listen to that over and over and over it's just going to go in you know right and so you just you were able to make the transition from child actor to actor mm-hmm. it seems almost seamlessly then because yeah. it, just you by made doing. the decision to do it as opposed to going to a class or what you you just on your own kind of realized the limit yeah, I mean the limitations of that thing, and then you just went deeper. Yeah, children's acting classes were, if there were, I didn't oh, even know right. if there were such a thing, and they were like puppy mills. You know, it, it's a different, different thing. I mean, it's just by doing the work, you know, and paying attention, and then and then by having professional theater professionals at home to sort of keep me in line. Because the great thing about certainly dancers is the the dis, the work is the most important thing. Right. All the stuff around the work is not as important as the work, okay? And I mean, this sounds didactic and all that, but when, you're tr- when, you're, when you have a young performer in, in your charge, as my parents did, the, the idea that there's nothing more important than actually just doing the work. You know, you might get the next yes. job, you might, it might be a hit, it might be a flop, you might, you know, you might make more money. Those things are all ancillary to the actual the the event itself, which is just the work, the discipline, the, the sort of collegial behavior, and um, going to work. I mean, and and were you getting at all well known then, or no, I was just in New York. You were just doing New York kid. theater. I worked so, all the time. Right. I was. I and was. And you were lucky. making some money. Yeah, I was. They I were was saving. I imagine you were saving for you for my private school. They, right. were, they were ballet teachers after right. all. So yes, this was useful to you. Exactly. Uh, uh, but it, this must have prepared you, though, the idea that the work is what mattered for what. Then happened to well, you when, you were when the Waltons happened, you know, I had been an actor for a very long time. So even though you were twenty years even old, even though I was, yeah. So, so talk a little bit about it because you did, as I was starting to say, you know, you became, you were. I mean, I guess it was Carol O'Connor and Henry and and you really um, in that period of the seventies, and I guess Mary Tyler Moore. Oh yeah, oh, the uh, there were Absolutely. about five or six of you who were and, sort of the faces. Yeah. You know, and Carol Burnett was, you know. Oh, yeah, and the other Carol, know, that, too. Carol yeah, Burnett, too. Exactly. Yes. I was Carol O'Connor, Carol Burnett, Henry and Ron and, yeah. and, and you. And there were just a few of these uh, a few of these people. But how did you get the job is the first – I have a few questions. You can just run and answer a bunch of them, which is <laughs> how did you get the job? Did you know your life would change? And then when it started to – I want to talk about what happened when it started to change. But just talk, speak about those things. How, how did that opportunity present itself? And what did that process feel like to you? Well, I'd been lucky. I'd made some movies um, starting in 1968. I, I, I was, I guess, maybe one of the last people to have like a multiple picture deal at a studio. Which you know, studio? Like Universal, okay? I got a movie called Winning where I played the child of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. See, this is what I'm talking about. Learning at the feet of, you know, masters, right? So I had a three-picture deal at Universal, <clears throat> and 
You were living where? Sorry. I was living at Here the, or New York. out? Yeah, I was so you were still in New York, yeah, yeah, even though you had a three pit, and you would just go to LA if you yeah, had to shoot. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, at that time, I mean, this is an, an aside, but there there was this, there was the, the there was a borderline. There were New York actors yes. and there were yes. Hollywood actors. And it was not as porous a border as you would think. But if you had a universal deal, you were then a New York oh, yeah. actor no, going they, to work oh, in California. Absolutely. I mean, I did my screen test for that on the Universal lot. They drove me. I went into the makeup building. And, you know, the Westmores were right. there doing my makeup. Edith Head was doing the costumes. Yeah, they crazy. washed my. They shampooed my hair before right. the screen test. I mean, it was a whole thing. To get that movie with Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman. To get that first picture. Anyway, so I did three pictures, one of which was, and I may have been the last one, it was Winning, You'll Like My Mother, and Red Sky at Morning. I did made a picture called Red Sky at Morning at Universal. Earl Hamner, who who wrote a book called Spencer's Mountain, which then became The Waltons, who wrote The Homecoming, he had seen that picture, and they were putting together a Christmas special called The Homecoming based on a short novel about the Spencer family, basically. Um, and he said, I, that boy who's in Red Sky at Morning, I want him to play me. I want, I want him to play that part. Right. So I got the call, and um, it was Pat Neal, you know. Oh, it Patricia wasn't, right, of course, Patricia Neal, but it wasn't an audition, you're no, saying. No, no, it wasn't an audition. He just offered you yes. John, you got yes. offered John Boyd. Yes, I did. That mo- so uh, I, yeah, I know. What Maybe that's f- just as good as, oh, that's okay, kid, no, you got you the part. No, I get it, but what did that feel like to you? Well, you know, at the time, I mean, because I was making pictures, you know, there were a, there were a lot of those things, a lot of offers, you know. Um, but this was this script. First of all, I'll tell you, it was Patricia Neal. Right. That's what made you say it yes. It was Patricia Neal. Oh, that and the, and the script, which was gorgeous. I mean, it was a beautiful part. I mean, it was a you read it and you was like, oh, I'm, you know, this is absolutely w- wonderful. I mean, you know, even as a youth. Even as a youth, you know when you read something on the page, if it speaks to you, it leaps into your heart. Well, also, you weren't that young then. You were 17, exactly. 18. I mean, it you were 20 when, the, yeah. when the Waltons happened, but you were probably yeah. when the when the first yeah, like special 19, happened, you were like 19 yeah. or something. So it jumped, when it jumps off the page into your heart, you know that it's something for you that you can that, you know, you know can play. So I thought, well, this is a great part. And then Patricia Neal was like, that was a huge part of it for me to, to work with her. And I was deeply flattered by it, and I did it, and we made it. They changed the name to the Waltons because you. And at they the time, it was the not Spencer a series, though. It wasn't a series. It was not a series. It wasn't a pilot. It, it was, was just a, a TV movie. It was a one-off Christmas special at CBS. Um, after it aired, William Paley, the head of CBS, said, "We've spent a lot of years." drawing out of the well i want to put something back into the well i want to do this as a series for the good of it yeah and i mean this was because it was a very wholesome show yeah yes and you know he felt exactly and it had a great response and they and basically what he said was you can cast the parents you know how you want whatever this is but you got to keep the kids so we all automatically got offered the, pile, the, 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 the series. The series. Now, the weird, stupid thing <laughs> was that I was so excited to do this show. But the idea of doing a series... Did not appeal to did you. Did not appeal well, to me. Well, the world me. was I mean, different I mean, I'd then. made like nine movies. I was doing, you know... And although I suspected I was never destined to be a movie star, um, uh, 
there's a different kind of alchemy. There's, it's hard to know exactly what that is, but we know it when we see it, right? Um, hard to be objective about things, it about yourself, right? Though. Exactly. And things were were you know doing fine. So did I want to? Did I want to? So who did you talk a, to about this? How did you figure it out? I don't know. I talked to you my talked to your dad, dad and, and my mom, and right. we talked about it. And I, you know, I really and and we said, and my agent was who was probably you know just tearing her hair out at the time. You know, why? What's go? What's taking them so long to return my call? Right. You know, and it wasn't like I'm too good for this or anything. You were it was trying just to say how you wanted to spend your you time. You know, do I want to? You have to do a five. You have to make a five year deal at the time. That way, you know, you have to. And so they said, well, we'll send you scripts. I mean, I'm a, this is like, I'm a snot-nosed kid. Right. Now, do you know at that time that Paley had ordered it? Or you, or you, that, no, I heard all this. this right, because otherwise the leverage it would to, give you yeah, yeah, was unbelievable. No, no, not right. even, no, not even yeah. I knew nothing. I knew not, just as well. Just as well. Yes. Um, but but I, they sent the script, and it was astonishing. What they were. I think they sent like three or four, maybe. And you read it and you were like, oh, oh I, shit. And it was so beautiful. And the part was so, it was so beautifully written. So I, yeah, I, I jumped in, you know, and I don't even, I can't even explain my reticence except that, you know, there were a lot of options open to me at the time. I think that must have been what it was. I wonder if somewhere in you, you knew that this would define you though also. I wonder. Well, as I say, I mean, I, well, I'd had the experience of playing that part already. So and how I was it received in the country then? Really well. It was a so big... So after the movie itself, that's when... I mean, obviously your life must have changed the most when the show became so of course, important. Of course, of uh, course. But you had a sense that this is... It was a hit. That a hit, sh- and that I can, show was people are hit. connecting to me in a certain but way. But also, also, as I say, when, when something jumps off the page and into you, you know you can do something with it. You, feel, you, you, just, sure. you just know. You know you have... I have to tell you, I felt that way when I got the Sandy Sanford Bensinger script. He's like, oh, oh yes, I can. Oh, yes, play. well, it's clear in the I way you play it. It's clear in the way you do it. It's obvious and, to all and, of us. Um, yeah. And and when I saw, when I had played John Boy, I felt such a connection. Also, you know, my father's from Eastern Kentucky, and my grandparents had a farm there, and I spent all the summers of my childhood, you know, as a going from a Manhattan Upper West Side boy to being a barefoot farm kid, you know, yes. in my summer vacations. So I was very, I felt very connected to that sort of mountain. But could you have Eastern. known, though, that Goodnight John Boy was going to become a, no, uh, Not in a, a tag years. line no, that Americans no, were going to no, all say no. all the time? No, no, no. There was, there was absolutely no strategy involved at yeah, all right. in accepting that part. I just knew it was a great part. I knew I'd played it and, and had loved playing it. I knew it was, they were great scripts. And I thought, well, it's quality. Did you and Ron Howard know each other at that time? Well, he he guessed on he guessed it right, on the on show, the, on and the that's show, when we met. That's when you guys yeah, first met. Yeah, you know, you there's knew a, who he was from Opie. But, oh, sure, but, of course. But you hadn't actually met no, we, until no, he came onto your no, set. No, we hadn't a... met until he came onto the set. And you know, there's a there's a sort of we don't we don't stay in touch at all. But there is a there's an unspoken sort of group. There's child actors, you know, recovering child actors. Whether they become directors or whether they, you know, yeah. um, uh, and and uh, we under we all kind of understand something about what it was uh, and what we've all been. Yeah, because through. no, as you were talking about doing the the Newman and, and Woodward, I, I was just picturing these parallel track the two of you guys yeah, were yeah. on for a long yeah. time where. Yeah. You know, obviously, you just loved acting in a way that he didn't love acting. Right. It turned out he right. wanted to do this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, and I really like Ron. And his dad, I think, was really instrumental. I mean, Rance was a wonderful guy and very, you know. Was, I never met they him. Were very, I love Ron, though. Ron's really, a, and Ron's a wonderful, wonderful Because, guy. you know, him doing the movies with John Wayne, like all the stuff yeah. that he was doing. Oh, exactly. Oh, sure. Um, and then the two of you in the 70s sort of traded off being this a wholesome poster child. Yeah, in, in I, a know. Way. I know. Um, but so when, you're, when, it, when it hit the way that it did, how did you, were you able, how did you reconcile it? Like that you were this cultural figure in a way. Did, because there's no way you could have completely ignored that fact that no. nobody doesn't change at all. No, 21 years old, you're yeah. going to ignore that. You, <laughs> no, <laughs> you're going to ignore that fame. No, it's impossible. So how did you deal with it? You know, uh, well, sometimes well and sometimes not so well. You know, right. I mean, yes. you just the, took to advantage the best of, times, of my ability. You times. Uh, we were all a little reluctant. Ellen, Corby, and Will Gear were not really, um, but it wasn't just me. Michael Learned, who had a wonderful career as a theater actor with the ACT in San Francisco, and 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 Ralph Waite. They weren't these weren't actors who were knocking on the door of Hollywood to try to be in a series. Everyone had some concerns about quality. It's weird. I mean, it sounds hopelessly, you know. That we were full of ourselves, but not really. No, we that's just, what everyone in premium cable is thinking about was, all the time. Everybody right now. was like, "Well, we know we got lucky, and we know this is a privilege, but why do we feel uneasy? And and we're not just going to take it. We're not going to. We're not going to take this opportunity sitting down. Right. So there was a fear that we wanted it to be good. Right. And, and so did you become? Did that? Did you guys become difficult in that way to the creators? Of the I show? don't. Th- well, sometimes we probably were. I mean, I can looking back in retrospect. Earl Hamner's patience, sure. with a, Earl Hamner's patience at that table, at those table reads, taking on the suggestion of a twenty-one-year-old. Right. I mean, please. I would not be that patient. I mean, I would please. not be that patient about Oh my it. god! So he never said to you guys. By the way, this you know, all came could, out of my. I did this for, with right. you. Like. He could have just sent me to my room. You know, I mean, he could have. I was still young enough that he could have said, "No dinner tonight, Richard. That's you're going hilarious. to your room. No television. You're going to your room." So there were times that you guys. Um, well, you can one can understand it because you're. Again, it's the thing where people listening might not understand what it was like when there were three, but the three channels, the the magnifying glass and microscope mm-hmm. yeah. on you, yeah. on the show, yeah. was enormous. It was At big. any moment, the show also became you know when Saturday Night Live. So when the culture started to shift, the show became the butt of jokes. Of too. course, it did. And so that must have been that. The whipsaw of oh, trying sure. to hold the line, and I'm sure you personally were an artist from sort of bohemian people, disciplined but bohemian people, trying, you know, living in the time of. I'm sure there were girls in the whole life, yeah. And then on television, you're doing the most wholesome, I know. religiously backed <laughs> show, I know. and I'm sure that that must have played hell with you at yeah. times. Well, you know, I was. You can just convince yourself of anything, you know, as oh, to get through oh, to get through the work and to justify your behavior. But you know, we were all we weren't difficult like we were throwing our weight around. We just when we would sit at that table, it would well, you think the character would do this and this was early days for that kind of thing on a series. There wasn't right. a lot of that going around. But Earl would trans he would write down these notes that we would give him. 
they would inquire. Sometimes he would disagree and say, no, that's not right. I think this and that. But we, there was a collaborative effort. And I mean, and it was all his. I, you know, we, I don't take any credit for what's on the page. But, but we did have a lot of input. And they let us have it. It was an extraordinary thing. None of us knew what would happen. We were in like 34th place when our first, when our first episode aired, I think. Something like that. By the end of the season, we were in first place. Right. No, of course. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. And, this, and the story of the success of that show... <clears throat> which was a very interesting thing. Newspapers would start writing about it. Uh, there, there started to be articles about it. Because it was counter it. to the counterculture. And exactly so. And because it was a show in which the entire family was represented, the demographic, every demographic of the family was present. People who, th- households where they thought it was a kid's show, the kids would watch and then they'd get the parents to watch. The in, in, in a household where the parents would be interested in it, they would think, this isn't something I want our kids to watch. Yes. Old people, you know, seniors, from a culture where old people lived in the home with the family and weren't out, weren't shopped out, and weren't, you know, were completely included and in, they were elders, you know, all of a sudden there was a place for older people in front of the television with the family watching this show. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me over the years and said, I remember sitting on my grandmother's lap and watch my grandmother's lap. Of that, course. My memories of my grandmother have to do it. So there was something happened in terms of the demographic of the family. And it took a, it took a full season for it to blossom. But by the end of it, we didn't know if it would last. We didn't know if it would do well. We didn't know if it would continue. We didn't know anything except that we knew it was different. We knew we had something that felt like a different thing. Were you surprised at how you connected to, with, the, to the country? Like how people yes, very connected surprised. with you? Very surprised. How but did you absorb it? Not surprised in that because the character was such a... See, okay, so John Boy is an interesting thing, right? You can look at it as a great part for an actor who is well cast in that part and that because of that emotional accessibility and availability people you could people would come in you could let people yeah. in people could come into that home but John Boy Walton was perhaps the most counterintuitive male lead of a television series you could imagine in a world of super lawyers you mean his sensitivity in a world of super lawyers doctors cops comedians tough cowboys to have this feeling male with artistic inclinations um, at the heart, and it was an ensemble show. You know, I'm saying the, the leading role. It was the central character because he's telling the story. But it was an ensemble piece. No, but also I'll just say it. You were the thing that became known for yeah, the show. Yeah, sure, of you course. And he was at the center of the – but to have that kind of a male figure at the center of a, of a network television show – and I didn't think of it at the time as being any of that. I just, it was a great part and I was playing it. But in retrospect, I started to look back and I thought, there, was, there were no male role models on television like, I don't mean me role model ever, but I mean that, that character. I know what you mean. You know, it was a very different kind of guy. Yes. Well, it, and then, because it was uh, John Boy and then a little later James at 16 was the exactly. next time that that showed oh, up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lance Kerwin's character. That was the next time that showed up was uh, James at 15, James at 16. There was a sense that something different was happening. It was starting to happen. Well, yeah, I was going to talk about the, the, we don't have time, but I was going to talk about what it was like to be part of that medium changing with Happy Days on the Family and the Waltons. But I want to get to, because 
you know, one of the things that I'm fascinated by is how people process these high moments, which I think we understand. But when it ended, when you left, and mm-hmm. then when it ended, wh- what did you tell yourself as the show? <laughs> well, you know, I was, the, in the infinite wisdom of a 25-year-old, <laughs> uh, right? Jeez, you know. Thank just, God. Just spank me. <laughs> I, I, um, I had done the show for five years. Okay? Yes. As people would renegotiate from season to season, they would give the producers another year. Yes. Which I never did. You never renegotiated. I never. I renegotiated, but I never. I never. Mm-hmm. You know. You I, knew I want I, five and out. I, I didn't know I wanted out, but I knew that at the end of five, I would want to be free to make that decision. I might have not wanted out, but I thought, and I was thinking, and even at that age, I was thinking, okay, if it if I've done this show five years, it's going to take ten years for me after this to sort of balance the scales with other work. You knew that? Come. Yeah, I was thinking that way. I would think it's going to take me... Oh, it's going to take me... And this is loving the show and loving the people. It was never about, i got to get out of this thing. But wait, I, this is really key. You, Because uh, I was going to ask if it was a surprise to you that that you weren't able to then go and oh, become no. Oh, no. a star of something. You know, that it took... Yeah, oh, you, absolutely. For you to become this working actor who's won Tonys and been regulars on show. You knew to yourself, yeah. I put myself in a kind of box? I, I knew that it would take time. And I knew that the longer I stayed in the show, the more time it would take. That's amazing. Most people do not have that and, self-awareness. Well, I thought, I thought about it. And I, it was the same kind of thing that made me worry if, wonder if I wanted to be in a series yes. right at the beginning. So I'm thinking that. And I love the people. And I love the part. And I love the show. But I never signed on for another year. And when the, it was over, and it was a, not an easy decision... But it was a clear one. And they couldn't believe my agent was like, my agent thought it was. You were in, walking away from a four. I mean, it's probably oh, yeah. to say. And, and those were the f- days before. Those were the days before the big, big stuff. But still, to do the sixth and seventh season, they yeah, would have no, paid no. you oh, a yeah. lot well, of money. Well, certainly. At 20, it was more money than I'd ever had in my right. life. I mean, it was yes. nothing like what they started paying yes, people but, down but the But you road, would have been a rich man at that, age, at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I thought, and I used to say, oh, I just hit myself. You know, there's all kind of change and it doesn't all jingle in your pocket, right? Right. Because at that age, you don't—you're not thinking. Well, I'd better put make it. I better make it while I can. No, I'd better put it in a sock now because you so know. So then, did you have regrets? One day you'll be sixty-seven. Right. <laughs> so did you have regrets after in those first few years? After no, I never had regrets about leaving the show. Um, I had sadness about it, sure. and I was clear. My agent thought thought it was a renegotiation ploy at first, of and so did Lee Rich and everybody at Lorimar. They thought, well, he's he's it's this is a renegotiation, and it wasn't. And they asked about a spinoff. They came to me at one point about a spinoff, and I said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm you done know, playing John, John Boy. John goes to college, and I know, but I, uh, this was even before we finished the five years. Right. They came to me about that. And I, well, I ha- they said, wouldn't you like to have a series? I said, well, I have a series. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So the spinoff didn't happen, and, which probably stupid, right? And then I'm thinking, well, yeah, I want to go on and have a career, and I'm leaving. And I was confident, and I loved everybody, and I missed everybody, and I was, I left that show, I took my parking space name off my parking space, I unscrewed it, and put it in my suitcase, drove off the Warner Brothers lot, I was doing a play at the time, actually, I was doing Merton of the Movies at the Amundsen Theater, and I was sick for a month. Oh, wow. Physically sick. I was, it was, it, I had, I never had a reaction like that to leaving a show, but it, I was, I was ill from the disease of parting with those people oh, yeah. and with that with that show, and I don't regret it. But I do think every now and then, well, you know, if I'd given them, 
The other side was like, well, if I'd give them an, given them another three years, how bad would that have been? And how, of course, you know, at that age, I would have spent it all anyway. Right. And it would have changed. <laughs> also, it would have changed sort of the timing of how you yeah. dealt with being yourself. Did but even the, having even did having the white hot spotlight of fame sort of drift, you know, when when it didn't continue in right. that way. Yeah. Was it a hard adjustment or ha- were you okay? No, cuz when I went off that show, you know, we had another we had a whole other industry going called made for television movies. Right. And I just that's what you I did. You just worked and did them. And I just worked. <clears throat> and it also gave me time to do my work in the theater. You know, I came back. I, I went to the in 74, I went to the Amundsen. I I did I hadn't been on stage since for several years. I left New York. I'd done an Edward Albee play on Broadway when I was like 16. 17 maybe then I went then I was in Hollywood I was making movies I did this series then while I was doing this series I went they asked me to play the Dauphin this production of St. Joan I got in with these actors again back on stage finally looked around and I thought okay you missed a lot of school right you gotta get back to school you gotta get back on stage so the focus on the you just focused on the work again the thing your parents basically what you did because um, I just want to Jump forward. So you, you're doing this work. You're on TV movies. You're doing the theater. Anywhere, by the way. You're doing national tours. Yeah. You're just working. Yeah. And that, for you, is where you still felt safe and at home. Yeah. And so the the you were, I mean, you were famous for the rest of your life, obviously, but it wasn't, you weren't at the center of the culture. Right, right. And you didn't miss right. being at the center of the culture. Well, of course you miss it. Of course. It would be, it would be disingenuous to say, you know, that. And also. So how did you finally get at peace with it? Did you have to sort of it's therapy, a, it's exercise? A, it's a process. Right. <laughs> Fair. No, right. So it is. I mean, basically, if, if the, the, the truth is, if you love what you do and you can always keep doing what you love, then what's your quarrel with? So, right. Yes. No, right. Exactly. You're in it. What's the quarrel? So then getting the Tony Award with 2017. Getting no, the nomination. I like hearing you say, yeah. I like hearing you say getting, getting the Getting the nomination award. in 2017. <laughs> yeah. And getting the Americans before that. Right. And so becoming sort of uh, back into a position in the cult, yeah, yeah, culture yeah, yeah, in a way, yeah. right? Because part of what happened on the Americans, it seems to me, is we were all so fucking happy to see you there. <laughs> well, right? Well, you, you know, must have, you must have <laughs> felt that, Richard. Yeah, I loved, I, I loved that part. I felt so lucky that they offered me But you must have role. also felt, I imagine, you must have allowed yourself to feel... That people loved seeing you there, yeah, it was and that nice it meant feeling. something. Yeah, but but I guess to you it didn't feel like a comeback because you were working steadily no. the whole time. It felt like a, it felt that way only in that it was a series again, and it, you know it was a re, it was a it was a, an opportunity to take a role and play it over an arc and series of yes. episodes, which is a different kind of work. It was great to be back in a in a weekly in a weekly series. I mean, you know, the television movie industry, as you know, was destroyed by yes. by undermined by reality tv and all those things that it just went away and i could see that disappearing on the horizon and i thought okay those days are numbered you know um but you know i've just lucky i'm lucky that i've always had the theater because i've always been able to work even when even if it was like a, a period when i wasn't doing in front of the camera as much although that's always happened too. I mean, I, yes, you've always been in front of that, but 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 it's been to varying sort of levels. Well, the beauty of it is you get older. Yes, and as you get older, you enter. You know, I mean, I'm, I've been in a lot of categories over the yes. years, right? I've been in a lot of categories. You know, and like ten years ago, I hit the kidnapped senator category. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, you know. <laughs> so as you as you 
I was lucky. I was a child actor who enjoyed. I was lucky to make it to to be an adolescent, you know, a juvenile. Then I was lucky enough to make it to be a young leading man. And then I was lucky enough to be able to sustain through all those pictures um, and the work I was doing in the theater, a, a more maturing leading. And now I'm able to be in the character role position, which is a delicious place to be. Well, it's great parts. So it is great parts. And and also, you know, I mean, like little foxes, you walk in slowly, you sit in a chair, for the, and then you get up and you leave. It's perfect. It's absolutely. Or, you know, Sanford Benzinger, you walk into the room, tell everybody off and leave. It's just right. absolutely it's- so delicious. So that the, the business, if you're lucky enough to be in it your whole life, it will take you along with your life, your stages of life, yeah, from the cradle, hopefully, to the grave, it will take you through, if you're willing to just sit in the lap of those categories, it will take you from one stage of your life to the other with the work. Um, there's always a little bit of an adjustment. When you, and I've got this thing where I look a little younger than I am, so I've always... I, 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 there have been times when I played younger parts and I've sure, been taking to play something sense. older. Yes. You know, and now and, you're in a place where you still you don't look you, eighty, which is amazing. Yeah, but me. it's coming. <laughs> I know, and, 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 and I'll be eighty and, next no, week. That's what I'm saying. It's <laughs> yeah. still amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. But 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 those things are coming together now. The face. He's in his mid sixties. Just by the way, everybody. Late sixties, mid sixties, sixty-eight 60s. in June, early sixties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God I was never good at math, but. Um, you know, and the theater will carry you right through, you know, to playing fears in uh, in in the cherry orchard at the end of your life and dying on a table at the end of the play. I mean, it's just it'll take you there. You Have know? you ever played uh, Vanya? I've never played. You'd Vanya. be great. I love, love that role. That yeah, part. that's that may be one that got away, but I love that part. That's a great, great part. Oh, you think you're too old to play it? Maybe, now? maybe. No, not now. too old. You can do it right in, now. Not too old inside, but but I, you know who knows? Well, I don't know. Um, Richard Thomas, man, from the cradle to the hopefully the grave <laughs> in a very long time because we need more Sandy Benzinger on our show. Um, man, what a pleasure to get to work with you well, and it was spend time with my you pleasure. and to do this. Thank you. Uh, I enjoyed it so thank much. Thank you so much. You're not on the Twitter or the social media. At no, all, I you? don't. Have so any people of can't it. find you there. You can find me at Brian Koppelman. You can email me at the moment BK at gmail.com um, and uh, I hope you dig uh, Richard on our show when I will say and I, I sort of said this at the beginning but when we know it's a day that you're showing up on set everyone gets really excited to come see what you're going to do so Bless thanks for that thank all right everybody see you next time thanks thanks